Well, 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 Red Rocks Church, how we doing? We doing good? Come on, I love it, I love it. Hey, uh, as Conrad said, my name is Ronnie, I'm the campus pastor here at our Littleton campus. So glad that you decided to join us this weekend. Um, we're in for a treat. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the concept of joy. Um, but before we dive into this message, Red Rocks, can you do me a favor? Can you help me by welcoming everybody that's going to be watching us online, everybody at our God Behind Bars campus, both campuses. We love you guys. We welcome you. We're excited we get to do life with you. Hey, before we get started, if you're new to Red Rocks Church, let me just say this. Um, from the bottom of our heart, uh, you are absolutely welcome here. Um, we, as a, as a church community, the people to your left and to your right, um, we are absolutely flawed individuals. We don't get most things right, um, but we, we join here each and every single weekend with hopes of, of increasing our understanding to get uh, closer and closer and closer in our walk with Christ, and he saved us, each and every one of us, from so much. And so if you're coming in here with some baggage, you're coming in here with some struggles, you're coming in here with some conflicts or with some weight, some guilt, some shame shame, um, just know that you are absolutely welcome here. You don't have to believe what we believe um, to belong here. You belong here. And so our prayer is that um, you leave here here change today. So uh, we're going to dive right in. Uh, we are in a series that we're entitling No Joy No Matter What. And if you're like me, um, it's a deep, deep uh, cry of my heart that I can know more and more joy. And we're going to be studying today um, out of the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is written, um, for those of you that missed last week, the book of Philippians um, is written by a man named Paul. He's the Apostle Paul. Paul um, is a man that has been through the school of hard knocks. Uh, this guy is absolutely incredible. And really his life in ministry, um, is it, the foundation of it um, is persecution. This guy has been through it. Um, when he's writing Philippians, we actually find him while he is under house arrest. During this time, um, people would go under house arrest uh, while they were awaiting trial, and this could take upwards of uh, several years. Um, and while we, we, when we read this verse, when we read this book of the Bible, Paul is writing this while under house arrest, while under 24-hour surveillance um, from armed guards. He's actually chained to a guard. Um, while people were on house arrest during this time, they had to pay for everything. Um, so they're paying for their food. They're paying for their clothing. They're paying for um, uh, everything that they need to survive is coming right out of their pocket. So when we find Paul, he's at a dark place in his life. Um, yet theologians say this, Philippians is Paul's happiest Book. Some theologians call Paul um, the master of joy. And it's interesting because Paul's life, um, throughout the course of his life, when you read the two-thirds of the New Testament that Paul wrote, when you read through these books that Paul wrote, you can see that book by book by book by book outlines this man that lived a life full of persecution, full of pain, full of torment, yet Joy is the overarching theme of this man's life and this man's existence. And so Paul's writing this book to the church in Philippi. And uh, the, the church in Philippi is unique for a couple different reasons. But these people, these Philippian people, um, they're, they're known to be extremely patriotic Italians. Do we got any Italians in the house? Any Italians in the house? Um, these people were extremely patriotic Italians, and they were known for throwing lavish parties. Um, these people were connoisseurs of pleasure. Um, they did absolutely everything, and I mean everything that they possibly could, 
to find pleasure, to find happiness. Um, these people um, were connoisseurs. They were ravenous about experiencing pleasure. And Paul's sitting in, in house arrest, writes a letter to this church. And the backbone behind this, this, uh, this book, the, the overarching subject of this book, is that Paul's encouraging them on how to experience true joy in the middle of them experiencing this fleeting happiness. Day by day, it changes. And, and so um, we're going to be looking today in Philippians 2. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Um, and while we're waiting on these people to flip to their Bibles, lean to your neighbor and just tell them how good they look today. If you don't know them, just tell them, you look wonderful. You look wonderful today. You do. You look wonderful. All right, Philippians 2, we're going to be starting in the very first book, uh, first verse of this book. Um, I'm personally going to be reading out of the message version of the Bible, so follow along. It's going to be on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you. And it says this in Philippians 2, verse 1, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Jesus Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, it's pretty all-inclusive. If you care, then do me a favor. Agree with one another. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way in front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. And this is going to be the overarching theme today. We're going to be talking about humility as a passageway to lasting hope. Would you do me a favor before we go? Um, would you just pray with me? Uh, we're going to just uh, uh, pray for a few moments and get our hearts prepared um, before we approach the word of the Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, I just pray that everybody that's here today that is listening to the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray, God, that your spirit would just begin to touch their hearts right now, God, as we, as we spend these next few moments together. God, I just pray for every person that's coming in here, God, um, with a heaviness. Lord, would you lift their heaviness? People, God, that are coming um, with, with woundings and afflictions to their hearts. God, I pray that you would restore them. People with heavy hearts, Jesus, give them grace, give them mercy. Jesus, we love you. And God, we just pray that as we approach your word, Lord, that you would reveal things to us. Make yourself known. Jesus, you're the centerpiece. You're the reason that we're here. So we honor you. We love you. We adore you. And everybody at Red Rocks Church said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, uh, anyone in here like to travel? We got any travelers in the house? People that like to just get out of Dodge, hit the road, get in an airplane? A any international travelers in the house? Anybody that likes to just go overseas? You like going and experiencing new cultures? Um, well, as many of you know, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a PK, um, and being a PK, uh, you have a lot of opportunity to, to get uh, overseas experiences. So we did missions trips all the time, and so I had a lot of opportunities to experience different cultures, travel overseas. Uh, I got to see a lot of fun things. But up until several months ago, my wife and I had never had an opportunity to travel together. And so um, several months ago, we got an opportunity to travel together. And, and we got invited to go on a trip to Africa um, with a group of the Red Rocks Church staff members and, and some of the Compassion International staff members. Um, and we went to Africa um, for the purpose of visiting some of the orphanages that you and I get a chance to partner with financially. Some of, some of your children I got probably got to meet personally. Um, I got to meet my sponsored child. It was an amazing opportunity. 
opportunity. Um, so needless to say, my wife and I were ecstatic. And so um, if any of you have traveled overseas, you know that it could be a cumbersome process. Uh, there's a lot of paperwork involved. There's vaccinations. There's visas. There's passports. Um, there's so many hoops to jump through just in order to go to another country. And so my wife and I took the first couple of months, um, and we walked through all of the hoops that we had to jump through in order to go to Africa with this group of people. And so um, we're ecstatic. We're going through this process. Finally, the day of travel comes. And my wife and I are loading up all of our belongings that we're going to be taking with us to Africa. We got our bags packed. We're grabbing some last minute items. Um, and actually, we get out of the door a few minutes late. We arrive to the airport a few minutes late. Um, our team is there. It was fashionably late, of course. Um, but our team is already there. They're waiting in line. They're, they're checking in. They're, they're, putting their, they're checking in their bags. They're getting their boarding passes. Everybody's excited. And my wife and I get to the back of the line, and we're just waiting our turn, moving up, moving up, moving up, moving up moving up when all of a sudden my wife looks at me in the face and says Ronnie why is my ticket under my maiden name <laughs> I'm sitting there and honestly in that moment I thought my wife was kidding and so I kind of looked at her and I was like babe please not now it's been a long day it's been stressful trying to get here we're already late these sort of jokes are not timely your, 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 your jokes are terrible and she looks at me with this seriousness in her face like dude I'm serious and so she says to me did you give them the wrong information. And so we're sitting there getting ready to load our bags onto this plane. Um, we're going to get our boarding passes and we're heading to Africa. And my wife's ticket apparently has the wrong information. So I look at her, I said, give me the ticket. I'm looking at the ticket. And sure enough, it's the wrong information. Somehow the travel agency that we worked with that, that booked all of our flights, put all of our travel arrangements together, somehow one of the documents that they looked at must have had my wife's maiden name on it. And I'll just tell you, I'll be perfectly honest, I'm not one to blame shift, but I know my wife's last name. Her last name's Johnson. Because I married her and I put a ring on it, you know what I mean? So I know what my wife's last name is. So I'm standing there, I'm like, babe, I promise it's not me. They must have just got the information mixed up. And so our entire team goes into solution mode. And so we're trying to figure out how the heck do we get Kara Johnson on this plane? And so we're coming up with ideas and we're throwing ideas to this lady who's trying to check us in. It's of no fault of her own, and we're putting all this pressure on her to try to figure this out. We got to go. We've had this plan for months, um, but my wife and I learned something very valuable because every single solution that we threw at this lady, she had the same scripted answer. I'm sorry, sir. If the name on the ticket doesn't match the name on the passport, you can't go. No exceptions, no exceptions. And to that I replied, woman, you're an evil, evil woman. You are an evil woman. No, I'm just kidding, but seriously. But through this experience, my wife and I learned a very, very, very valuable lesson. And the lesson is this, bad information will keep you from your destination. I'm gonna say that again for those of you that might be taking notes. Bad information will keep you from your destination. And you see, the reason I tell this is because for a lot of you, and when we're talking about this opportunity to experience joy, this journey to joy, many of you are operating with the bad information. And because you have bad information on how you attain this lasting joy, you will never get to this destination 
of lasting joy. Let me explain. In the heart of every single human being, in in your heart, my heart, no matter what race we're coming from, no matter what state, no matter what city, in the heart of every single human being, you have a desire and I have a desire to make myself happy. I want to experience happiness. I want to experience pleasure. It's in your heart from the time you're born, before you even born, you have the inclinations wired in your DNA to want to experience happiness and pleasure. But what's interesting is the time we're born, from the moment that we are born, life, people in our, in, in our path, society, culture, pop culture, they're all pushing us in a direction to experience the most happiness that we could possibly experience. The problem is that this joy void that we have in our heart can never be experienced by taking the path of happiness because we have bad information. We'll never be able to get to this destination that we're talking about. We'll never be able to get to that destination. And it's interesting because you and I here in America, in Littleton, in the greater Denver area, we have all the opportunity in the world. We can eat the food that we want to eat. We wear the clothes that we want to wear. We get to live in the house and in the community that we want to live in. We, we pick our job based upon what we enjoy. And if we don't like it, we leave it. Um, we are consumed with our ability to make ourselves happy, to enjoy happiness. We make decisions based upon self everywhere that we go, everywhere that we go. But the major problem with that is in order to experience joy, we can never experience it by taking this path of happiness. And so the more that we consume for our own happiness, the more void that we have. So we go to another place and we consume more for our happiness. All the while, this vacancy and this void that was made for joy and lasting purpose goes unnoticed. And so the thesis today, if you're taking notes, write this down. The thesis today is that there can be no joy in the life of the Christian who puts himself and his happiness before others. There can be no joy in the life of the Christian who puts himself and his happiness above others. Humility is the key to joy. Let me explain. There's some dramatic um, differences between happiness and this joy that we want to experience. And, and, and the first major difference is this. Happiness, happiness is insecure. And what I mean by that is happiness has needs. The moment that you have a desire in your heart, if your happiness is fulfilled by your job and your job is removed, your happiness is removed. Your happiness has needs. If, if your happiness, like me, comes from buying new shoes, the moment that those shoes are no longer new, the happiness is removed. If, if, if your happiness is found in your spouse, you're looking for happiness from your spouse, the moment that something takes place, the moment that something derails, the moment that you have the slightest bit of conflict, the happiness from your marriage gets removed. Take this and put it into any situation. What makes you happy? When that gets altered in any way, your happiness gets altered in any way. Happiness is insecure. It has needs. But joy... Joy is confident based upon what the Bible says that our joy is found in knowing Christ. Joy is found in laying our lives down. The conditions for joy outlined inside the Bible never change. They're constant. They are fully confident, fully secure. We ask the question to get to joy, what will honor God? And that's unchanging. 
Happiness, the second, the second thing, happiness is defined by the facts. Let me explain. You go into the doctor's office, common checkup, and the doctor notifies you, I'm sorry, sir, I'm sorry, ma'am. We've just found out that you have cancer. That fact will dictate the trajectory of your happiness. Knowing that you're, you have cancer, your happiness will decrease. If your happiness is found in the fact that you have an unbelievable job, the moment that that job is no longer available to you or it is no longer unbelievable to you, your happiness will decrease. If your happiness is found in the fact that you have millions in the stock market, the moment that that stock market plummets is the moment that your joy will plummet with it. Do you see what I'm saying? But at the same time, joy is defined by truth. Joy is defined by truth. You see, if, if the facts are modified, my happiness is modified. Joy, biblically, is found in knowing Jesus, knowing him crucified. And my Bible says that Jesus, that God, the Father that we follow is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our joy is defined by truth. We ask the question, what will honor God as the most defining question in our lives. You see, this destination of joy, we will never get there if we take the path of our own personal happiness and satisfaction. The only way to experience joy in this life is through humility. From the time that we're born, we, we innately and inherently receive bad information on how to be fulfilled. There can be no joy in the life of the Christian who puts himself and his happiness above others. And just to shed some more uh, light on this topic, I want to turn with, would you turn with me to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Galatians 5.13. <clears throat> I'm going to be reading once again out of the message version of the Bible. And it says this. This is what Paul says is what as a byproduct of somebody that pursues happiness, their own personal happiness as a goal. It says it's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. So if you came in here today wondering if it was possible to be free, yes, and it's absolutely clear is what the Bible says that God has called you to a free life. Let's go on. It says just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want, a.k.a to pursue your own happiness, to, to, to live for yourself. He says that that destroys your freedom. But rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That is how freedom grows. Lean to your, part, lean to your neighbor and say, that's how freedom grows. That's how freedom grows. But this next part of this passage is absolutely crazy. Listen to this. He says, for everything we know about God's word is summed up in one single sentence. One single sentence. And it's this. Love others as you love yourself. Love others as you love yourself. So I'm not really sure what your church background is, but I'm sure that there's some people in here today that feel like one of the major reasons they can't connect with God is because they haven't read this enough. But what this is saying, what this passage is saying, is if you would take the Bible and you would wring it out, the primary contents that would drip from this book is this, love others as you love yourself. So if you're coming in here today with a fresh slate, you don't have any church background, you don't have any Bible background, if you make that the foundation of your life, I promise you that it will set you on the most unbelievable trajectory. Let's finish what this passage has to say. 
It says, love others as yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you'll be, in, you'll be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? Where will your precious freedom be then? Notice what it says in verse 16. It says this, my counsel is this, Paul's counsel. My counsel to you is this, live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feel the compulsions of selfishness. Selfishness is removed when we're following God's spirit. And he says this, for there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit. If you're wondering why you're battling freedom, keep reading. It says, just as freedom, just as a free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. So this root of sinful self-interest is at odds within us with this free spirit, this ability to be unhindered, this ability to experience joy to the full, this ability to experience pleasure the way that God intended it is at compromising odds with our selfish desires. If you're wondering today while you're sitting in this room and you're not experiencing the joy, the satisfaction, the pleasure that you feel like God might be intending you to experience, let me tell you this. Check your self-interest. How frequently do you think of yourself above others? Let's keep going. It says these two ways of life are antithetical so that you cannot live at one time one way and at times another way according to how you feel at any given day. But it, look at what it says here. Why don't you What's the next word? Choose. Why don't you choose? It's your choice to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence. Red Rocks, Paul says this. It's your choice to whom you will please. Will you follow the desires and the compulsions of your own heart to experience your own pleasure? Or will you lay that aside and pursue the spirit, the spirit of God? Who's gonna rule? Who's gonna dominate? Who's gonna make the decisions of your life? Because what Paul is saying is this, listen, humility is the catalyst to experiencing joy here in Littleton, Colorado, here in the greater Denver metro area, here in any part of the world. It's global, it's international. The way that we experience joy is humility. And the only way that we experience this joy, this humility, is by Jesus Christ. See, I don't know about you, but I, I question the Bible a lot. When I read something, I say, why, why on earth, God, would you ask us to do that? What was your motivating factor? What were your motives behind asking us to do that? You ever thought about that? For us, he hardwired us with a desire to pursue our own pleasures, our own selfish desires. Why on earth would he design us that way? and then ask us to do something that is completely opposite to what our natural inclination is. Why would he ask us to do that? You see, by doing so, we remove all the ability within ourselves 
to free ourselves, to make ourselves whole, to make ourselves experience pleasure that's eternal, that's everlasting, to make us experience joy that is everlasting. God says, try me in this. Lay aside every one of your selfish desires and pursue me and trust me wholeheartedly to be your all in all. You see, Red Rocks, humility is the key to joy. Humility is the key to joy. And one of the most amazing things about Jesus, he's not one of those leaders, he's not one of those bosses, he's not one of those rulers that says, do as I say, not as I do. But Jesus, when he's asking us to live this life that is selfless, that is humble, that, that live this life that is, that is completely overarching with humility, he says, I'll go first. I'll go first. Because I know that you're going to have questions in 2016 as to how you lay down your life. I know that in 2016, you are going to have questions as to how you live humbly. I'll go first. I'll go first. He went the extra mile. Look with me. In Philippians 2, verse 5, it is completely life-changing. Paul urges us. He says, listen, if you want to live a selfless life, do this. Verse 5, think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. Think of yourself this way. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to its advantages of his status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of his deity. He took on the status of a slave. He became a human. And having become human, he stayed human. It's interesting because by saying that, he stayed human. God denounced every right, every status of being God in order to sacrifice himself for you. Nudge the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. God denounced every single bit of advantage that he had being God for the sake of you. And it says this, it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges and said he lived selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, crucifixion. <laughs> Red Rocks, think with me for a moment. Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, came here to live a life for you and I. Think about it. The one who made all the cosmos, the one who made the natural materials for the chairs that you're sitting in now. He came to earth and he sacrificed every right that he had as God to become fully human. And not only that, but the Bible says that he died on your behalf. He died on my behalf because he knew that in 2016, there would be people that are broken. There would be people that are hurting. There are people that are going to be needing a savior. And so he humbled himself below his creation. He thought more highly of your life than his own. Think about that. The one who fashioned and formed human beings to have movement he put the breath in our lungs, gave our hearts the ability to beat. 
He put life in our bodies, the very hands that smacked him and beat him. He fashioned, it was his idea. The very endurance that these men had as they beat Jesus to death. He provided for them. The Bible says that in him, everything is held together. So that means that the mouths and and, and the glands within our mouths of the men that spit upon Jesus as they were crucifying him, he gave them the ability to create the saliva. He gave them the power to spit it at him. He laid himself down, the most ultimate sacrifice of all times, so that you and I could experience life to the full. And verse 9 says this, and because of that obedience, God lifted him on high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before Jesus call out in praise that he is their master of all to the glorious honor of God and Father. Red Rocks Church, I don't know about you, but I'm really glad I'm following him. I'm really glad that he demonstrated for me what humility looked like. Because I don't know about you, but humility is hard. When I found out that I was going to be preaching on humility, I was like, thanks, God. (laughs) I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for the easy task. Thanks for the, the soft toss. But it's interesting that God viewed himself less significant, viewed his own life less significant than your life. He laid it down completely. You see, within this story is something that's absolutely amazing. For you and I, many of us think that humility is thinking less of ourselves, but Jesus outlined humility perfectly for us. And the Bible says that he knew fully well that he was God. He knew fully well that he was the creator of the universe. He knew fully well that he formed and fashioned the people around him. He knew fully well who he was. He knew exactly who he was and never once did he think less of himself. Never once did he think less of himself. But the Bible tells us this, he thought of himself less. Red Rocks Church, humility is not thinking of yourselves Less, not thinking less of yourselves. It's not belittling yourself. It's not demeaning yourself. It's not thinking of yourself to be smaller than you really are. What humility is, is thinking of yourself, thinking of your own selfishness less than the people to your left, than the people to your right, than the people that you work with. Humility is thinking of yourself less. There's an amazing author and theologian. His name's Andrew Murray. I would encourage any of you to get one of his books, read, read his writings, he's incredible, a brilliant thinker. And he says this about humility. Humility is the perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing that is done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me, when I'm blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and I'm at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. You see, Red Rocks Church, I feel that God burdened my heart to tell you one thing. There's no way that you here in the Denver metro area 
will experience the joy that comes from knowing Christ, the joy that comes from serving Christ, the joy that comes from following Christ, if your selfish desires are at the forefront. And listen, I know that there's a lot of you sitting in here today that have been very frustrated in your walk with Christ. You come here many weeks. You've been to many churches. You've listened to many preachers. You've sang many songs. But deep down within yourself, you still have this void. You still have this brokenness. You're still dealing with the same things that you've been dealing with for a long time. You're wondering if, is this Christian life even real? Is it a hoax? Does it have any validity? Does it have any power? Does it have any effect in my life? And I want to ask you a simple question. When you look at yourself, who is sitting at the center of your life? Because if you're honest and I'm honest, most of the time, this Jesus that I profess as my Lord and Savior, he's not sitting at the throne of my heart. I am. It's my selfishness. It's what I want. It's my own pleasure, my own satisfaction. You see, many times when I go out into my community, the people around me don't even have souls. And this is what I mean. When I go to a restaurant, someone comes to greet me and to serve me. They're there for nothing more than to take my order and get it here quickly or I'll be frustrated. Very rarely do I notice that that person has a story, that person has struggles, that person has been made in the image and likeness of Christ and their soul is valuable to God. What we just saw is that it's so valuable that the God of all of creation gave his life for that person. Red Rocks, does the people in your life have souls? Do you notice them? Do you notice their pain? Do you notice their brokenness? Or are you so consumed with your own needs, your own selfish desires, that you can't see the people around you? Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Red Rocks Church, would you just stand? We're getting ready to sing one last uh, group of songs. We're going to go into a time of worship. And this first song that we're going to be singing is one of the most declaration, most glorious declarations of selflessness. It's one of the most glorious declarations of surrender. It's one of my absolute favorite songs. And what I want to encourage you to do is this. While you're singing this song, would you allow the Lord to speak to your heart? Ask the one question, the one question. God, who is sitting on the throne of my heart? Is it you or is it me? Because I've proven time and time and time again that I'm a lousy ruler. When I'm led by my own desires, I'm left astray, I'm left empty, I'm left broken, I'm left needing. God, I want you to sit on the throne of my heart today. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Let's pray. Jesus, come and reveal to us the depths of our hearts. God, many of us go throughout life and we never once think about who is making the decisions, who is sitting on the throne of our hearts, who is the contributing factor behind the decisions that we make. God, many times, God, it saddens me to say this, but as followers of Christ, the one that's sitting on the throne of our hearts 
is ourself. And Lord, I just pray that over these next few moments, God, as we lift you up and as we glorify you in songs, God, I just pray that you would just do surgery in our hearts. Lord, reveal to us the areas where we think more highly of ourselves than others. God, you are the perfect sacrifice. God, it's incredible. Lord, that you would lay your life down. You thought of me, my life, more valuable than your own. Jesus, you're worthy of our praise. God, it is our delight to bring the greatest offering that we could ever bring you, and that's the offering of ourselves, returning back to you, restoring relationship back to you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Red Rocks, let's worship.